Music from D.C. and Baltimore You'll find it all here on Corridor Waltzes or cut time or straight for four You'll find it all here on Corridor Welcome to the podcast. As you can probably tell, my voice is pretty rough. I'm getting over a cold, so I apologize that it's probably hard to listen to, but I'll stop talking soon. I just wanted to record a quick introduction to this episode, and I didn't really want to sit on the interviews for much longer. I got to sit down with Don Deneen, a recording artist from College Park, Chris Eric from The Honest Mistakes, who was on the show before, and also Walt Oshap from the band Bricklayer. I sat down with them, and we talked about some of their favorite songs from the past, songs that have inspired them, songs that meant a lot to them. So we'll call this a Thanksgiving episode. We'll say that it's uh, songs that we're thankful for. All right, I don't want to subject you to my voice anymore, so I'll just get these interviews started. I'm here today with Don Deneen, a local indie recording artist. And today we're going to be reminiscing about some of our favorite songs from the past. So there were two that Don wanted to share with us. Um, do you want to introduce yeah. the songs? <laughs> Uh, okay, so the first one I wanted to share with you is a song called Shelterless and Dry by a band called Three Shades of Dirty.
can definitely see why you like that song. Uh, for me, I really like how the bass and the drums kind of play together. So what was it about this song that really stuck out for you? Well, mu- musically, definitely the way the bass and the drums um, play together. And also, there's so much melody in the bass. And the transitions, I just think, are so interesting. They There's a lot of movement in the song. I guess at the time, I was listening to a lot of like singer-songwriter-type recordings and pop music and whatever. I'm trying to think what that was like. 1990 so I can't I can't really think of what was contemporary at the time but so so listening to this for the first time I was like whoa there's like so much in the transitions and so much melody in the bass and the lyrics are not straightforward at all they're almost like getting this window into somebody's brain that is just like not necessarily you know the straight up kind of lyrics that that pop music has and kind of blew my mind a little bit. Yeah, that's a good thing. That's a, so that kind of brings me to another question. How did the hearing the song influence you? How has it affected your own music? Yeah, well, Dan Littleton, the guitar player for Three Shades of Dirty, um, he we actually went to the same junior high school, and I kind of like knew him from afar. Um, he was this kind of mystery character that, you know, walked around in combat boots and camouflage jackets, and, and uh, I think I mentioned the story about the the junior high school yearbook where he like brushed his hair all in front of his face <laughs> and took the picture that way. So he, I was intrigued by him personally, and um, and we actually recorded uh, demos at the same studio. This this particular record that that this song is from, it was a uh, like a really limited release cassette that came out. Um, the band again is called Three Shades of Dirty, and the name of the cassette was Paper Roses. It came out in 1990. And uh, so we were recording at the same studio and the guy that owned the studio sort of like mentioned us to each other. And we're like, oh, kind of curious. And so we ended up swapping cassettes through that guy. And so, you know, Dan got a copy of mine. I got a copy of theirs. And I mean, honestly, this is one of my Desert Island records. I I just think the whole record is beautiful. It kind of came out of this small hardcore scene that was in Annapolis at the time. And Three Shades of Dirty was an offshoot of The Hated, which was a kind of a staple of that scene. Um and uh, and I should mention, too, that Jenny Toomey, known for her work in the band Tsunami and Simple Machines Records, she also performs on this record, a couple, a couple songs. She sings like a co-vocal with Dan. Unbelievably awesome. So th- this whole record totally changed my whole way of looking at writing music. I mean, I I thought there was, you know, this possibility of emotion through music before that, but this sort of changed me in that... I realized you could go a lot deeper and you could get a lot of emotion out of transitions in music. And um, that wasn't just classical music that could kind of get that epic sort of symphonic sort of thing. I mean, I guess there are other bands that have done it, sure, like Led Zeppelin and a bunch of other bands like that. But um, this was like my in my local scene, you know, and it was like, wow, this is really like a tangible thing. So it, it definitely influenced me that way and just kind of broadened my mind and my thinking about music, writing music. And it being people that you actually knew, I'm sure that that made it seem more attainable and seemed it more like definitely it had it had a greater impact for sure, yeah. just you know across the board. And and Dan is a guitar player. I mean, just you know he's he's totally talking with the guitar in a, in a in a way that's completely stylistically his own. It's not to me. It's not you know definitely not like a mainstream sort of guitar style. Yeah, you mentioned that you like the guitar solo in that song, and it does stand out. It's not its not like every other guitar solo you've heard. Yeah, there's definitely something unique about it. Yeah, lots of cool cool dynamics and 
I love the way he just like picks up the guitar solo with his vocal, you know, and yeah, it's it's pretty sweet. Lots of good tricks to learn there for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so another song that you wanted to talk about, um, well, I'll let you talk about that. Actually, we have a song by Spitshine. Yeah, the second band that I used to be super well, still to to this day, super excited about this record. Um, it's called Kick Me Hard, and the name of this track is called Flea Dip the Cat. <laughs> definitely great i like that raw guitar and uh any song called flea dip the cat has to be pretty great so um what was it about that song that that that's yeah. made it stick with you for so long it's just so much fun i mean it makes me laugh every time i hear it and uh this like especially the line about you know um was the the part but she's afraid of her cat her cat's so cool it's gonna be you know she's afraid it's gonna get kidnapped it's so awesome <laughs> happens every day you gotta watch out <laughs> but uh so those guys, Spitshine, I think – I can't remember exactly the year that this record came out, um, but it was definitely like early 90s. And um, uh, I played a few shows with um, Spitshine at the time and had a lot of respect for the musicians in that band, especially uh, Rose Manfro was the the uh, lead guitarist and then Ariana Patterson was the um, the other guitarist and they both sang. They both wrote material for the record and there was a great drummer, great bass player. It was an awesome quartet. I mean, in my opinion, Rose Mamfra, I think she's actually Rose Wampler now or Wampler. She is one of probably the most, I mean, definitely one of the most underrated guitar players that ever came out of the Maryland music scene. I mean, she's just got phenomenal chops and I mean, she just shreds all over that song, yeah. all over that record. It's phenomenal. She's she's an amazing musician. And uh, the way that they did co-vocals on that record and they both have beautiful voices and their lyrics are really smart and funny. And yeah, they were awesome. I just I just love that record. It's one of my favorites from that time period for sure. So you mentioned that you did you 
first hear about them by playing shows with them or was it how did that work um so let's see way 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 back in the day i think either i worked at tower records it was when i was working at tower records or it might have been even before that i might have been dating somebody that was working at tower records and i think ariana uh, either worked at Tower Records at the same time or her boyfriend worked at Tower Records. So we heard about this band that she was in called Arju High, which was three women, and their first names were Ariana, Juliet, and Heidi. And <laughs> so they, I think the name of their cassette that they put out was like, what's the matter, Arju High? <laughs> and uh, they were cool. They, I think they were like two guitars and bass. They didn't have a drummer, but um, they had a really awesome sound. And I always remembered Ariana from that cassette that came out, you know, way back. And that was probably like the late 80s or early 90s, I guess. Late 80s. Yeah, I guess the Spitshine thing would have been mid-90s then. When I came across Spitshine, I was just like totally sold. I mean, they were awesome. They were great live too. Good band. So it sounds like, uh, you know, the two bands you've mentioned, you have some sort of personal connection to both of them. When you listen to these songs, does it bring up that time, that that era of the 90s playing music? Most definitely. Do you want to talk a little bit about what it makes you think of? Um, Let's see. Well, the Three Shades of Dirty thing definitely brings me back to um, to, – well, actually both, I guess. They're kind of like the Annapolis music scene. There were a bunch of bands that used to play shows. The two little clubs I think that most bands played at that time were like – um gosh armadillos maybe and um what was the other place on main street i cannot think of but yeah maybe 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 reaching too far back (laughs) yeah i mean just you know at that time i was playing in a band called hypatian sky and um there was another band from annapolis called stagger stagger crawl that used to play shows all the time with everybody and there was a really cool band out of annapolis called baltic avenue too that was from that scene they were great um and those bands just, you know, shared a lot of shows and played shows in Annapolis and Baltimore and um, just good people, good times. I mean, I feel like I definitely had sort of a coming of age in that scene. Um, it was really tiny, but close knit. And there were awesome bands and it was good, you know. Yeah, it sounds like it was a lot of fun. <laughs> sounds like it was definitely a lot of fun. Has Spitshine also had an influence on the music that you're working on now? or? Um, hmm. I mean, I think I definitely have an affinity for sort of following bands that I have a personal connection to and I have over the years. I'm definitely much more interested in, I don't know, you know, a situation where you can actually go to a show and then kind of get to know the the artists behind the music. I, I think there's just something special about being a little more informed about what's going on with what they're writing and kind of I, I I really enjoy watching someone's evolution over the years as far as like how they grow as a writer, grow as a musician, grow as a performer. I mean, all those things are super interesting. They just seem much more interesting to me than just reading about someone in a magazine or you know, I don't know. I mean, on the flip side of that too, I guess I'm kind of of the opinion that there there're definitely times when you get to know someone that maybe you kind of like held up on a pedestal before as an artist and then you kind of you start reading too many articles about them maybe learning a little too much about yeah, them but I guess it's too much information yeah too much information yeah. but I don't know maybe maybe kind of in a way that that stuff gets diffused if it's someone that you kind of follow in a local scene you know a little bit on a personal level so so speaking to that I guess 
I would say I've carried a lot of people's music with me over the years. And it's, you know, especially if I had a personal connection to them at some point, I'd say they, they all, I poured all of that into the pot and mixed it up, you know, to get, carry it with me. I mean, it, you know, speaking, speaking about Spitshine, I mean, those women were super strong and cool. And like I said, Rose was shredding it like nobody's business. And that was super inspiring. And of course, you know, that how can you not be totally jazzed about um, seeing that and having that influence around you at, at points. It's cool. Yeah, and that's, I guess that's how it becomes a scene. That's why they call it a scene. So <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I appreciate your, your time. Thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs> Love Corridor. <Yay>. So <laughs> I'm here with Chris Eric from The Honest Mistakes. Thanks for having me again. Oh, uh, you thanks remember for coming him over. from the show we did with uh, him and his wife. Uh, so today we're talking about Band, we're reminiscing about bands that are no longer with us. So, uh, Chris, you wanted to talk about uh, Lovell and the song? Is... Oh, uh, the song is called The Days Run Away Like Wild Horses Over the Hills. And uh, why does this song stick in your head? What is it that drew you to this band, this song? Well, there, there are a few answers there. Uh, the band was just the fact that I had never seen a local band like them, they were just—they were thunderous. They, but they were a controlled thunderous power, for lack of a better term. They just, their their drummer Chris Shelley was just a monster, and uh, and uh, Greg, the guitar player, made noises I'd never heard come from a guitar. He didn't even have that many pedals. He was just made astounding sounds. When you listen to the record, you'll see what I mean. And the uh, and the heart and soul of it, Mike Nestor, uh, the the uh, guitarist and, and singer-songwriter, he just worked in these idioms that I had never heard before. And the song, specifically, uh, Days Run Away, is just orchestral, and it just it just kind of starts small, and there are these acoustic guitars and some cello, and it just starts to build, and it builds, and it builds, and it just... And then it comes back down for a little while, and then it just explodes in a way I've never heard music do. And then it came back down, and then it went up again, and it was just—it was amazing. And it just—you could just see it. You could just see the whole panorama in front of you. And I, I had never experienced it. And I heard that in a bar, like me and Joylene and a bartender, and and we're sitting in easy chairs watching this happen. And just—I'm pretty sure there were tears streaming down both of our faces, just <laughs> amazed by the emotion of it. Yeah. That's a pretty awesome reaction. Yeah, it was the right one to have. Uh, well, let's take a listen to the song.
I love the song. It's a great song, and it has this great recurring guitar line in it. And it's just, she. There's a great line. She has a new life now. It's not the new life I will miss. Oh wow, that is a good line. Oh. Mike Mike was always peppering songs with just these great that just uh, if you didn't grow up a sad boy you might not you might not get it in some ways well, you I might didn't grow up a boy but yeah. you know I but if you grow up sad nice moments of being but there's sad. there's something very very specific I think to being like a sad somewhat intellectual boy who wasn't looking to necessarily screw girls over and was probably looking for something that they weren't given when they were younger. I know I'm certainly that way. I'm going over the past like, oh, man, you're just looking for family. Mm. That's all that's happening there. You're just looking for family. But there there would be lines like that in, in a lot of Mike's songs. It just really resonated with me. But gorgeous song. Please don't include me singing it. Bonus track. Um and how has this song been influential in your own music? Well, it's funny. I it's more of the emotion of it. Like Mike and I as songwriters work in very different areas. His he has kind of a melodic post hardcore thing. He'd hate to hear me say that, I'm sure I'm getting oh. it wrong. <laughs> He'd love to know that. But he he works in kind of he kind of uh, tends his part of the earth. And he doesn't really write like that anymore. I don't think because I was in his band for a little while. I had a band called The Selden Plan, and we did a really good record together that I can't say the name of. I mean, I literally can't say the name. It's in another language, and I oh. can't remember exactly how to say it. But it's a, it's a fine record. Uh, but it's different. It, the songs are smaller. They're good. Mm. There's some good songs, but but with Lowell, he just had this canvas. And I think a lot of it had to do with the people he was playing with. It was just a really... And, and the band imploded eventually. A really sad story I won't get into, but I think there, there's something to that, especially when you're young. And they were young. When I went, met Mike, he was 19. Oh, wow. And, yeah. he had, and he had the... He, had, he was able to articulate the inarticulate rage of a 19-year-old who had been hurt. And I... I certainly never knew anyone who could do that. I was older than him, and I still am. Uh, <laughs> but I was I was astounded by his ability to do that consistently. Not an easy task, I no, imagine. Absolutely not. So you were also mentioning that uh, Mike Nestor was kind of influential in the sense of getting you to start a band with Jolene? Oh, well, we were already a band, but we didn't have a oh. drummer and we weren't really doing... We were a band, like, three or four people playing in a living room or a band. Like, if you don't believe a band is a band until you're actually playing shows, then no, no, we weren't. Mm. But, I mean, we were doing everything else. We were writing songs. We were practicing yeah. every week. But we didn't have a drummer, because uh, drummers are hard to find. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And um, we just weren't playing. And he, I met him at, a, at an open mic, and he said, we should do something together. And I thought, you know, fine. Didn't think anything of it. And then at the end of the night, he tapped me on the shoulder and gave me his number. And, and we exchanged numbers, and he called me a while after saying, we have a show, you should play it. So that made us get a drummer, and we played a show with him. And that kind of got us the ball rolling. And every time, it seems like every time we, we'd kind of falter a little bit, there would be Mike. He recorded our first demo, uh, which nobody's heard. Uh, he <laughs> recorded our first full-length record, our acoustic record. Uh, he Actually, he recorded two full-length acoustic records. 
Uh, he did he did a lot of stuff like that for us. He played bass with us for a while. Just he, he was we needed a spot filled. He was there. Not as good of an answer. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. I, I did want to ask. Um, so when you think of the days run away like wild horses over the hill, what kind of memories does that bring up for you? Well, there's, I mean, there's, there's seeing it in bars, seeing it in uh, a little like row house bar in um, Fells Point and just being stunned by it. There's mm-hmm. seeing it in Philadelphia when we went out of town to watch them play and then finally hearing it on their record and just seeing it realized with, you know, the acoustic guitar and the cellos and all the, the sounds. You know, I was talking to Don, Don Deneen earlier in the day about songs that were important to her um, from bands that aren't around anymore. And she also mentioned, too, that she had a personal connection with. So I find it interesting that you also are picking a song um, written by people that you actually knew. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of why I ask about, uh, you know, what memories it brings up. It seems to have, it, it seems to make you think of a time in your life when you were starting out, um, you know, tr- getting a drummer, mm-hmm. getting things moving. Yeah, it's the confusion of finding, especially that I, I have known of musicians who have their voice, their songwriting voice. Early on, I was not that lucky, and I didn't really find it until I met Julian and we started doing music together. And I was twenty six at that point, so it's it's later on. And I, you know, meeting somebody like Mike who had their voice at nineteen, it was <laughs> astounding and really irritating. Yeah. <laughs> there is something intimidating about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Irritating. It was amazing, though. I, uh, as far as Lowell goes, yeah, I. Um, I can't. I may have seen them more than any band that I wasn't in. I, I saw them yeah. so many different places. Big yeah, band, huh? yeah. They went through this period where they had a drum machine because they didn't have a drummer, and they just, they just kept doing it. They just kept playing. Great. Well, thank you so much for talking with me, and uh, I appreciate it. I'm sure. And I'm sure you'll be back on soon. Well, yeah, because I'll irritate you with some other idea. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, it's not irritating. So can I ask uh, what what the other band was that Dawn talked about? Um, she talked about um, Spitshine and the sh- uh, Three Shades of Dirty. So I that's don't know that one. Um, very, they're very good. Uh, I guess when you listen to the podcast, you can hear <laughs> and so the songs can, in their entirety. And so can you. Yeah, yeah. I'll finally hear all the songs yeah. myself. I, uh, man, it's just going to come off as a love letter to Mike, which is fine. I, um, yeah, I think Joylene would have picked the exact same band, mm-hmm. you know, because she was there for all of those shows. So I'm here with Walt Oshab from Bricklayer and also the project known as Be My Boyfriend, full disclosure. Yeah, but I'm glad to have you on here. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, I w- We're talking today about um, bands that meant a lot to us and aren't around anymore. And you chose a song in particular because of the band's influence on you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the song, what it's called? Uh, the song is called uh, The Last Stand of Wyatt Earp and His Immortals, and it's by a band called Farewell Hope, who later became Ruiner, who is probably more well-known throughout the country and in Baltimore. Uh, 
I went to high school with their singer Rob Sullivan, and uh, we were kind of like friends, acquaintances, something like that. We hung out at lunch, mm-hmm. and uh, he drove me to Warp Tour a few times in his van and oh, things like yeah. that. I even tried out for his <laughs> band, uh, and I was terrible. I was really horrible, and I felt really bad for wasting his time because I didn't know I was going to be that bad playing with the band. But uh, was that just because you hadn't played yeah, with the band before? Never, never, <laughs> ever. Uh, so what happened was uh, when I was a freshman in high school, um, Rob and I actually took guitar lessons at the same place. Uh, him and a girl I was dating at the time, named Machina, and we were all friends. And um, Rob invited us to see his band play. It was a ska band called Five Against One. And they played at St. Patrick's Church in Fells Point here in Baltimore. And um, we, uh, I, I went, and I, I, I'd never been to a show before. I'd never seen a live band apart from like a concert. I saw like Bon Jovi and Kiss and um, Poison. Poison was my first concert. <laughs> nice. And, uh, you know, I, I was really into like Led Zeppelin and the metal and things like that. And I was just getting into punk because of my uncles, actually. Giving me some like Dead Kennedys tapes and things like that. What's and, a tape? Yeah. Uh, well, there's this magnetic strip inside of it. But um, so we uh, invited me to the show. My dad dropped me off, and like it was the first time I had been dropped off someplace that wasn't like the mall. And uh, I'm in Fell's Point. It's like dicey there. You know, back this is like '98, something like that, '99. And um, I go into this this church hall. And it's like punks and kids and uh, and I was pretty much just hanging by myself and some kids I never had met before came over and started talking to me and it was it blew my mind like nobody nobody talked to me I mean uh, people at school but you know it was like we're in the same class we had a reason to talk like these kids don't know me from Adam and just came up and were like hey nice shirt what do you who are you here to see you know. I was, and, you know, I was outside talking to people I'd never met before, and it, it, it blew my mind that these people are so nice. And uh, we walked next door to Reptilian Records, and uh, it was a punk record store in Baltimore. And uh, I, I just, it was so cool, and I'd never done anything like that before. And then I saw kids my age playing music, and it, it was, like, insane. Like, I, I knew it happened, but I'd never seen it. It was always very much like that, uh, you know, the episode of Happy Days where they they play music and they're watching you at the pizza parlor. And uh, I I thought that's just what it was. You know, you go and you play covers, but these kids wrote music and, you know, they're 15, 16 years old. And um, so from that that point on, I was like, man, this is what I'm taking guitar lessons for. I want to write music. This is what I want to do. And uh, so Rob Scaban broke up. And then he got into a punk band called Three Inch Lynch, which is the band I eventually tried out for and, and did horribly. And um, I, uh, I think Justice Trip ended up becoming the second guitarist for that band, uh, which is interesting. He's the singer of Trapped Under Ice now. And uh, yeah, a lot of people spawned from that scene. Uh, Baltimore used to be very hardcore. And uh, it, it it's weird to me to see it now because the town was so hardcore. It was hardcore and like noise noise rock, like oh. just Economist and bands like that, um, or even noisier than Economist. But um, so now this whole like dance punk thing is is, is just weird to me because like it, everything was so hardcore for so long. Um, 
but anyway, the Three Inch Lunch Punk Band, and uh, I would go see them. And then uh, they actually lost their drummer. He died. Uh, he was a young guy. I think I, I, I think it was cancer. I, I'm not sure. But really, really nice, yeah, really nice, talented kid, uh, Matt uh, was his name. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a real shame. And uh, while well, after they died, the band kind of reformed, and they changed their name to Farewell Hope, and they became really heavy, like, Shy Halud kind of hardcore band. And uh, they did that for a long time, and those shows were amazing. Um just hardcore as hell, you know. Uh, people doing the the invisible kung fu, you know, fighting the invisible guy, uh, floor punching, all that stuff. Rob would, you know, wrap his mic cable around his neck, and you know, I mean, it was it was intense, you know. But uh, after a while, they they got some new members, and uh, they started to go more punk uh, in a way, hardcore punk. Um, I can't think of any bands that maybe like Bane or one of those types. Feral Hope they they became more uh, punk sounding in a, in a way, um, but it was something that that spoke to me more than the really hardcore stuff that they were doing, um, like metalcore, grindcore, almost. That I wouldn't call it grindcore, but closer to that. Um, anyway, um, so they came out with an album called Valentine's Day. And they they did they did a release on Valentine's Day and they put out uh, they had a shirt with like a Peanuts comic about Charlie Brown waiting for Valentine's in the mail and they never came Aww. and uh, it was really cool I have it somewhere but um, the album that was really good and it was a shame because like they released the album and they decided to become Ruiner like almost right after that uh, it, it seemed like it, you know they would lose enough members and they changed their name. And that's kind of like it started from Three Inch Lynch to Feral Hope to Ruiner, and um, but the the Feral Hope record, the last one, Ruiner sounded like that when they started, so it was very much a, an honest continuation of that. So this song is the last song on that record, and it's 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 the closest thing to an epic they probably ever did, and uh, it it really to me captures sort of that downtrodden feeling that Baltimore music had, but more of um, a willing-to-fight kind of uh, attitude. You know, um, it's not this sort of everything's going to be great sort of, uh, you know, like glossed-over denial kind of thing that that's going around in music now where it's just like, I don't want to see the bad, so I'm just going to you know, dress up in a kitten costume and sing twee songs. Like, <laughs> and uh, I mean, and if you do that, that's great. I, I don't want to stop you. I, I, I'm not trying to crap on you. I, I really am I'm not. I just, uh, to me, it just doesn't have the, that same feeling. Like, you grew up in Baltimore. You always had this, like, chip on your shoulders, this little man complex. And that's what Feral Hope was to me and what Ruiner was. In a way, it was like, no... You're gonna listen to me. You're gonna you're gonna take me seriously. I'm gonna succeed. I'm gonna do well. I I can do this on my own. You know, very, you know, something that like an 18 year old boy really wants to hear. You know, just I can power through this. I can do this. And um, you know, there's a lot of self doubt and a lot of self loathing in it. But still, like, there's this I will overcome. And um, and that that's what I really like about the band and the song is just the, a willingness to fight that I think is missing from so much music now, from so much hardcore music and well, punk music in general. All right, well, let's take a listen to the song. Yeah. 
it sounds like this song definitely had a huge impact on the way you think about music in general in terms of how you actually write music currently in Bricklayer. How has uh, Farewell Hope influenced your songwriting? Well, um, you know, I, I can't really... I can't really say that they influenced me directly. Um, I feel that it's more like a, maybe an attitude rather than uh, necessarily like notes in a song. So uh, for me, in, in my last band, uh, The Shipyard, which didn't really do much, but in that band I had more of a chip on my shoulder and I had more to prove. I felt like this band I think is more um, uh, an artistic endeavor. So it's more us kind of collaborating, coming up with stuff. But before it was kind of just me writing and I was, I, I, I had this, this chip on my shoulder of like, uh, you know, screw these Micah kids, like art school kids. Like, you know, they don't know what this working class town was about. You know, you, you come here from New York, you know, you don't know anything about us, but you're the face of our town. And I, I it really bothered me for a long time that people who weren't from Baltimore were the face of Baltimore. And I had no problem with them being here, no problem with them making music. I just, I hated that when people looked at us, they saw Brooklyn. They didn't see Baltimore, you know. And that's all there was. Like, it's not like it was Dan Deacon and native Baltimore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So unless you listen to, like, punk, you know, and you caught, like, Ruiner or a band like that, uh, you didn't really know, you know, you you have... uh, like I said, the, the band's from Micah, and, and uh, but uh, yeah, so I don't know. I, for me, it's just that when when I write music, I go back to being um, a lonely hormonal like seventeen year old in like a church basement, and that like primal feeling of just intense music. And and the rush you got from it, and and people moshing, and people banging into you, and uh, there's this guy who was at every show. He looked like Zach De La Roca. I think his name was Ian, <laughs> and he always got naked at every show. This kid naked. He would get naked, and he would. Are we talking would, everything? Yeah, no, like <laughs> naked, like socks off, like wow. just naked. And um, he would do cartwheels, and he would do the uh, the the hardcore ninja fighting naked, and it would just flap around, and uh, it, it was just like that kind of insanity that was like that punk feeling, and it, it I I don't know if I just haven't found the shows again or if it doesn't exist anymore. I I think I just haven't found the shows again. Because you know, uh, like Ruiner would do do shows, and when they started out, they had um, they had a few songs. Uh, they had a lot of like gang vocal parts, a lot of sing-alongs. And uh, I remember one of their songs that the sing-along part was great. And um, it was like um, days spent, months spent, years spent screaming. If I had a time machine. Hell yeah. And everybody would go apeshit over that. Like, and I don't know why. It was just ridiculous if I had a time machine. Hell yeah. Uh, but it, but I know what they meant. And I and like I kind of feel that way now. If I had a time machine, hell yeah. Because I would go back and enjoy like real hardcore, real punk, real... And, and, or what was real to me at the time. You know, just 
going balls out and just having fun, but being really intense. So I guess that's a roundabout way of saying how they affect my songwriting. I just, I, I want to come and I want to assault people. I want to, you know, I, I don't want to be confrontational, but I just want them, I just want them to, to feel like, you know, they just got beat up, oh. you know, and th- that's kind of where I come from along with trying to be technical while doing that. But I don't know. I mean, a bricklayer show definitely is cathartic in that way. You feel beat up, but also, like, elevated in some sense. Well, I appreciate that, yeah. Um, That's somewhat deliberate. Yeah, Yeah. no, Mm -hmm. it comes through. Cool. (laughs) Uh, Is there anything else you want to add? No, I just, you know, I I have to say that uh, hanging out with Rob is definitely, you know, the the few times I did when I was younger. I didn't want to make it seem like we were, like, best friends forever but i mean we hung out a little bit and um you know that that time really meant a lot to me and and seeing him do well at every step and he's a mixed martial artist now like he doesn't even do music anymore i mean he's involved with music but he doesn't do it um because he's so focused on his training but uh to see him succeed and, and like pick himself up um and just have that like tenacity uh, um, that really meant a lot to me um, throughout everything. When I didn't have a band, when I did have a band, you know, just to to keep to keep fighting, keep going, and to do it like you know DIY for better lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, so that that uh, that was uh, invaluable to me. So I really appreciate that. So I like to give credit where credit's due. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for yeah. talking. No